Welcome back to Across the Pond. This is our last episode for 2019. Hello, Barry. Hey, Chad. What's up? Let's play that last jingle for the year. Absolutely. So how excited are you for the new year, Barry? I absolutely can't wait. To be honest, for me, this year has been really rough, and so I'm very excited to be done with it. I've learned a hell of a lot in 2019, but it's time to look forward to 2020, a brand new decade, a brand new year, and I'm keen to get started. How are you feeling about it, Chad? Absolutely. I'm feeling absolutely in the exact same boat. And uh, if this is the worst condition that I could be to close out the year, um, I, I actually think that's it. I've got one of the worst cases of man flu I've ever had in my life. Um, for those of you who uh, have had this condition before, the man flu, a very serious one. Um, yeah, just uh, not feeling the best. But uh, yeah, certainly looking forward to uh, curing up and uh yeah starting fresh again in the new year um so very keen for that so uh yeah we've got a bit of a different layout for this episode we're going to be looking through all of the things we've discussed uh this past year obviously we've only, only been going for six episodes this being our seventh um but yeah so we're still going to stick to the kind of general framework but it's going to be a bit different. So let's look at the week that was, except it wasn't the week that was. It was kind of the six weeks that were. The week that was. Barry, do you want to start us off on this? Sure. So I think what's the best way to do is we're going to go through the various episodes we've done, as Chad mentioned, and look at stories that have developed since we first spoke about them. So some of the stories haven't really moved, and so we're going to ignore those. We're only going to look at the ones that have changed in the last couple last couple of weeks to bring you up to speed as to what the latest is at the end of 2019. So the first one is we're going to look at, we spoke about in episode two, the WeWork situation. And if you remember, we spoke about the company WeWork, which is this giant co-working space all around the world, like a multi-multi-million dollar company, and really creating a lot of buzz in the industry for when it comes to co-working. And uh, they went through this dramatic turmoil because of lots of drama behind the scenes with the CEO and with various financial irregularities and various various uh, skeletons in the closet. Um, and we chatted at that stage about they were looking at potentially firing a whole bunch of employees because of the financial mismanagement and trying to get the company back on track. And what actually ended up happening was they did end up firing up to 2,400 employees, which is a huge, huge number to let go. And uh, as a result, they have been looking to, to, to draw cash as much as they can from various other platforms. So by getting rid of those salaries, obviously took a bit of cost off the table. They've also been looking to sell various interests of theirs that are outside of traditional co-working. So as part of their ex-CEO's kind of regime, he liked to invest in various other random investments outside of WeWork specifically, but under the We company. And the company's been looking to sell those outside investments, try and raise some cash to try and focus on the core business itself and get things back on track. So they are currently in the midst of a huge financial restructuring. They're trying to fix all the various holes and the various um, issues within the company. And uh, the new management team have got a Herculean task ahead of them to try and change the public PR and the public perception about the company around and in 2020 try and get it back onto stable footing. So that's kind of the update on WeWork. Chad, you saw a documentary, I believe, on YouTube about WeWork. Do you want to chat about that? Yeah, I did. So basically just uh, had a little search last night and came across one that Bloomberg's put together. It's about a 13-minute documentary and they, they do talk to a couple of things that you're talking about. So as far as I know, some of those investments that he had made were kind of into like the childcare industry uh, there was uh, you know so something else so yeah definitely saw that on the documentary and I would definitely uh, recommend going to have a watch of that 
It's called The Spectacular Rise and Fall of WeWork. And yeah, basically just some some market commentators um, talking about some things that they've, ne- they've never seen in their time. Um, they make a very interesting comparison to other uh, co-working company uh, or group called IWG. They've obviously got the Regis um, brand as part of that. Um, and yeah, something really interesting here is that IWG was similar in all the key metrics, square feet, locations, number of members. Um, yet, uh, for some reason, WeWork had a 13 times higher valuation um, and it made made no sense they had the ceo they interviewed on as part of this um bloomberg interview the ceo of iwg and yeah he was just kind of wondering are we missing out on something is there something we're not seeing um and yeah it's just one of those natural um just kind of being brought back down to size yeah, that's very interesting. I must go and check that out. I think that the WeWork has become this almost Harvard business case study, right, to look at as to why this valuation was so high compared to the actual fundamentals of the business. And uh, and this is definitely going to be something we look forward to, we look back on in, in, in future, uh, looking back at why this happened, uh, what kind of parallels we can draw between those two companies, IWG and WeWork itself, and what this means yeah. for tech companies versus real estate companies going forward. So yeah, it's an interesting developing story. We'll have to keep watching and, and seeing what happens with WeWork. But at the moment, things are still on a, ver- on a pretty much a knife edge and they're raising as much money as possible to keep themselves alive and, and pushing forward in 2020. Cool. So one of the other interesting things that I saw on that documentary was uh, obviously Adam, the CEO, the charismatic CEO we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Um, after he was uh, basically voted off by the board, um, there's now co-CEOs, two CEOs that have been appointed. And I believe they have secured themselves multi-million dollar severance packages um, when at this moment in time, um, or certainly a couple of weeks ago, the company couldn't even afford to pay retrenchment packages for the workers that they were laying off. Yeah, there's there's so much nonsense with these big corporations like this. And uh, because all the contracts for these kind of high-level managers, they'll make sure they write into those contracts these sort of severance clauses and packages and whatnot. And uh, in order to actually get them out of the business or get them into the business, it often includes huge sign-on or sign-off bonuses. And uh, it's really sickening sometimes when you think about the 2,400 people lost their jobs, whereas these guys are walking away with millions of dollars in the bank. Those incentives are, are always misaligned. And that's one of the biggest kind of um, criticisms and kind of uh, negatives of this kind of free market capitalistic society where the guys at the top are able to dictate the terms, whereas the guys, the, the working class are, are really struggling. So it's, it's, it's sad to see that kind of stuff happen. Absolutely. Cool. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, you basically started 100 Days of Code a couple of days ago. I actually checked in on Twitter. Um, I think it was last week. I was quite intrigued by maybe even thinking about joining the movement myself. So kind of wanted to see what specific things you were doing. And it was all gibberish to me. So talk, <laughs> talk us through. How's it been going? Yeah, so it's been going well. So I actually just finished my today's one now. I, I was from my lecture. So today was day 32. Um, and so what I've been working through is a, a, com- a computer science class from Harvard University called Intro- Introduction to Computer Science, but more colloquially known as CS50. And it is the most popular class at Harvard. So it is the, it is the, the starting point for all Harvard graduates or all, all Harvard students who are starting computer science. So every famous name you can think of, including Mark Zuckerberg, has taken that course. And what's really amazing oh, wow. about the course is that not only is it done at Harvard itself, but it's completely open open source and free to the entire internet. So you can go and sit in the class if you're actually at Harvard, or you can do it completely by correspondence because everything is open source, all web-based, all the tutorials and all the problem sets and everything is all online. 
And so I can sit here in Johannesburg and take the Harvard course of computer science, which is really cool. Um, and from the course itself, really? it's it's lectured by a guy called David Milan, and he is an unbelievable lecturer, like really, really good. He, he his, his way of kind of taking complex concepts and breaking them down into simple analogies that you can understand if you're outside of the coding world is fantastic because the course is designed for people who are not only coders in their previous life but also are coming like me to it for the very first time and so that kind of concept-based learning has been really cool and so yeah I'm 32 days in I just finished lecture five today which was on HTML and CSS so moving away from C which is the language I've been dealing with right. in the last little bit and that was C is horrible C is really really tough to learn <laughs> uh, so moving into HTML for this week and then we're going to, into Python from next week so really enjoying that course and that's kind of my first step into this 100 days of code just to kind of get some fundamentals going um, I haven't been as good as I should be like I missed one or two days in the last week or two but I'm trying as best as I can to every single day get at least an hour of it in i find it amazing that this type of course is actually just offered for free uh, to the world i mean what do you think is the the reason for that are they kind of just giving a taste of what life is like at harvard um maybe trying to is, is it kind of for a betterment of society as a whole um what do you think the the reason is for for having this free offering on a basically a business that makes their money off of their course material off of their lectures and and all of that type of thing uh why, why are they doing this yeah, so I think it's a combination of two things. I think the first thing is that this is definitely like an intro course. So the whole idea is to try and whet your appetite and kind of give you a taste of what the Harvard looks like right. and then try to get you to sign up for their more advanced courses. So that's the first thing. But the second thing which I think is more, more important is that in this computer science community, what I'm learning as I'm starting to dig into some of the coding websites and some of the communities online, a lot of it has this kind of open source mentality. It's this idea that we want to share this with the world. We want everyone to be able to create. We want everyone to be able to have access to this, this information and this like documentation. And all of the stuff you could learn online by yourself anyway, right? All Harvard is doing is packaging it super well and making it like, like modulize and giving you problem sets to work right. on and projects to work on. The actual information is actually out there and democratized. So there is no reason for them to kind of hold on to that information. What they are doing by this is they're building an amazing brand for themselves because this is known as like one of the key starting points if you want to learn to code. They've had some millions of students have gone through this course. And so from a branding perspective, it's fantastic for Harvard. And like the revenue they lose and people not paying for the course is potentially increased by the way that people think about Harvard as a brand. And also just this open source mentality is really... It really champions computer science as a tool for solving problems. And uh, the actual building blocks of those tools should be free to everybody, I think. Fair enough. Absolutely makes sense. Um, moving on to the next one, the South African Airways strike. So we spoke about this. Uh, I remember asking you the specific question of whether the proposal that they had, which was, I think, 5.9% um, or somewhere in that region, um, was reasonable with relation to the low inflation rate. Well, not low, but lowest inflation rate SA has seen in some time. Um, and yeah, what have we seen there, Barry? <laughs> yeah, so so that one, I think that, I think from what I've read, it feels like SAA kind of won that battle. So what happened was they settled eventually on a 5.9% wage increase, which was very similar to the original deal before the strike even happened. So that was very, very strange. They didn't really make much headway. As From what I was reading, it seemed that a lot of the workers who weren't getting paid while on strike were forced 
forced to go back to work. And so the strike kind of fell apart a little bit because after a week or two of um, not, not being paid, obviously you still got to pay your rent and pay for your family and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So they didn't have the bargaining power there. And so at the end of the day, they settled on a 5.9% increase um, across the board. And uh, not only that, SAA is also like just to kind of put the nail on the coffin and, and make us realize how bad the situation is, they're still talking about potential retrenchments even in line with the deal that they originally agreed with, right? So it, originally they were going to look at cool and increased um, increase, but then uh, potential retrenchments. Now they've got the same deal that they originally had and they're still talking about laying some people off. So SAA is still in dire situation and there's still serious, serious problems there. Um, but at least it has been resolved and at least the, the airline is operating again, um, albeit at a slightly worser position the interesting thing that i heard is in that period of time the week that they were on strike um i believe none of the flights were actually missed so i'm not sure if they kind of handed these flights off to other airlines or or that type of thing but it definitely raised the question of whether all of this labor is required if the airline can still function um ultimately from from the flights that they did honor um you know are these roles absolutely necessary and I suppose them looking to retrenchments um, is, is definitely uh, tr- trying to address that question and, and that's the dirty truth with a lot of South African SOEs like a lot of the SOEs are very bloated and because people are trying to push job creation and try and give as many opportunities as possible plus all the corruption that's happened a lot of our SOEs are very bloated and so something like this really can expose the fluff in the system and the unnecessary labor that is involved so it's yeah not good for SAA I don't think all right, so that's it for episode two. If we move on to episode three now and look at some of the ongoing stories there. The first one we looked at in episode three was Uber losing its license in London. So we chatted about how there's a lot of um, debate as to whether the workers who drive for Ubers are considered as contractors or as employees, and that's kind of playing in the legal system there, and they lost their license quite suddenly. Um, Chad, do you have any updates on what's happened with Uber? Yes, I mean, as, as far as I can see, um, Uber's, as we discussed, they, they had the uh, option of filing an appeal and they had 21 days since the ruling and uh, apparently they've done that. So, um, you know, further to that, we're going to have to just see what happens uh, in the courts. Um, you know, there, there will definitely be some back and forth about this. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, and of course, when it's something that concerns privacy and safety uh, with, you know, drivers who are unauthorized actually being able to take trips, I don't think it's going to be something that the courts are going to take lightly either. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to watch and see what happens there. The next story in that episode was, of course, the Tesla Cybertruck reveal, which for me was one of the most exciting launches of the year. Um, They launched that dramatically looking truck, um, which was a very, very uh, polarizing thing. And uh, just giving you updates on the orders, the last number that I that we've heard, or that Elon's tweeted at least, was that 250,000 Cybertrucks have been ordered, wow. um, which is a crazy number. Um, it really shows that the Tesla superfans are there in their droves and they are ready for this truck. A, a quick reminder that this, they haven't actually paid for the full truck, right? So in order to order this, I think you have to pay, I think it's $1,000 up front. And all it does is it buys you a seat in the queue. So I think it's unrealistic to expect that all 250,000 of those orders will be fulfilled and people will actually pay the full amount but nonetheless that kind of number is staggering and when you look at the kind of the sales of pickup trucks for other companies it doesn't even come close right and so this number is ginormous for a first version of a new model that no one's actually seen in the in the real world yet um, and it really shows the power of the branding that Tesla has and how they're able to mobilize their army even though they had a bit of a fail at the product launch they mobilized their army and really showing them the numbers are really showing that there is some demand here yeah I mean 
in terms of that 250,000, because I did also watch a couple of videos where somebody, you know, talk, spoke about that, that holding deposit, which is, yeah, a fairly, fairly nominal amount uh, with reference to the full value of the vehicle. Do you think that they will be thinking about some sort of provisioning um, in terms of, you know, not all orders being fulfilled? Um, or, you know, do you think they're going to stick to that quantity um, and potentially add even more? Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I, mean, I don't even know. I don't know if that that order is legally binding in any way. I, I wonder if it's just a yeah. cheap way to raise funding. I'm sure they'd look at it as a cheap loan for zero percent interest, where they can go and plug that into into their R and D. Um, the actual number of trucks, I don't think matters to them because they are still capacity constrained in order their production system, right? So they will only be able to get out a certain number of trucks per month at the beginning, and so the demand is gonna inc- is gonna exceed the what they can the, what they can make anyway, and so I. I think from their perspective they just look at it as cool free loan free funding to 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 fund the r&d of this truck when they get to a stage where they're ready to produce then it's a matter of producing as fast as possible and just assuming that the demand is going to get there whether it's 10 percent or 50 percent or 70 percent of that 250,000, i don't think it matters right now when it comes closer to the time then they'll have to look at cool how many people are dropping out what does the demand actually look like and after the first couple thousand get out the, get out the shop and into the people's hands what is the feedback then Absolutely. Well, certainly still a good number of uh, years until we we see the (laughs) results of that. Moving on to episode five. Um, Yeah, we spoke about ESCOM load shedding, all of that type of thing. And uh, we've seen some news this last week that two senior members have been arrested. I believe they've already stood um, in in the courts. And uh, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, there's a total of four as well, two other people. Um, They've kind of pinpointed to various companies. Um, There's been a gross manipulation of contracts relating to the construction of two new power stations. I've even heard of their uh, having been mentions of this on carte blanche uh, a few years back um and so yeah basically the wheels of justice starting to turn um about four seven hundred forty five million rands worth of fraud um what what are your thoughts on that I think it's good to see. I think that this is the first kind of action we've seen from Soro Ramaphosa's kind of speech about kind of fighting corruption. And this is the first piece of concrete action within SOEs that we've seen. Um, I think it's going to be the first of many. We know that there's a lot of rotten eggs with it throughout the system. And so this is a probably a scapegoat and kind of a first example of what happens. And hopefully they get, hopefully they get the right punishment and it kind of creates the right incentives for the guys who retake those jobs and hopefully maybe fix some of the things within SOEs itself uh, so it's good to see things happening i can't speak to whether they're guilty or not we'll have to wait and see but um i, I i'm really happy to see that there is action being taken and it's not just lip service absolutely we'll have to see what happens there now in terms of the load shedding situation give us an update I'm very happy to report that everything's back to normal. It's it's very, very okay. strange. It can go from stage six, like in a week, and then the next day, oh. it's everything's normal and everyone's forgotten about it. So no one's talking about it anymore. It's not in the news. It's one of those things where once everything's working fine, then it's just old news and we move on with our lives. So as South Africans do, we get very angry for very short periods of time. And then when everything <laughs> goes, goes fine again, we're all good. So I'm hoping that throughout Christmas, we won't have any issues. We have had abundant power the last couple days and I haven't had to worry about stages or moving to my parents house or any of that nonsense and so long may it rain long may it continue 
Absolutely. I mean, I did I did hear of a few fires that had happened at some of the plants, um, and there was a, a potential sort of hint that these might have been intentional. Um, and so I believe uh, the National Energy Regulator are actually looking into that. Um, but yeah, obviously it didn't affect uh, the, the power grid in, in too much of a material way. So that's good to hear. Now, Barry, you've done a lot of looking into Trump and the impeachment that actually happened since we last spoke about it. Um, you know, this only having happened in America a few times in history. Tell us what you've learned. Yeah, so this is obviously one of the biggest stories coming out of the U.S. probably the whole year, um, and that's it's really really important for the U.S. and for their for their future elections coming up in 2020. Um, I think I want to preface this by saying that I don't know what to what to believe when I read things because you can read ten different articles and have ten different ideas, and I think one of the reasons for this drama is because of all this polarization across the left and the right. So let me try and give you the fairest representation that I can with the preface that I, I'm using secondhand sources here. So basically. <laughs> the House of Representatives voted to impeach Trump, and we chatted about that in the previous uh, episode. And uh, they actually ended up winning that winning that charge, and Trump was impeached by the House of Representatives. The charges laid against him was he was accused of having withheld $400 million worth of military aid to Ukraine that was already allocated by Congress and a White House meeting for their new president, right? And, they, and what Trump was allegedly trying to do was withhold that money so that Ukraine looked into potential damaging material on Joe and Hunter Biden. Now, Joe Biden was the vice president of the Obama administration, and so Trump is trying to weaken his now allegedly Trump is trying to weaken <laughs> Joe Biden's stand and and the Democrat stand for um, for the 2020 election. So that's basically the charge that was laid against him. And the Democrats are saying that this amounts to an abuse of presidential power using the office for personal political gain and to the detriment of national security. So quite a quite a serious charge to be laid against a president. And in, yeah. in addition to that, he also was obstructing the Congress by refusing to cooperate with this inquiry. So it's two charges. It's the abuse of power and it's the obstruction of Congress while they're trying to do the inquiry. So the House of Representatives voted, and now Trump has been technically impeached. And what happens now is that it now moves to the Senate, and the Senate needs to vote on what to do with this impeachment. So they can either convict him, and then he leaves the presidential office, or they can acquit him, and he remains in his position, and the kind of gets thrown away. So that's the next step in this process. Where this gets tricky now is that Trump and the Republicans control the voting power within the Senate, right? In order to convict Trump, he needs to, they need to vote two-thirds majority against him, right? So they need 66% of the vote. And at the moment, Trump has 53% of the vote in the Senate. So unless a significant portion of his own party votes vote against him, this looks like he may be acquitted. However, we, we, know, we don't know what's going to happen, right? No one knows exactly what's going to happen. And I, I would imagine there are some people within his party that are seeing the writing on the wall for Trump and might think that a change is needed and maybe they will vote against Trump. But again, seeing the bipartisan kind of politics we've seen in the last year or so, the left and the right hate each other so much that if I wouldn't be surprised if they stick to their party lines and they vote as expected and this gets acquitted altogether. 
when it comes to the Senate votes, um, Trump wanted this to happen immediately. So Trump went ballistic when he found out the news, and on Twitter he went went berserk. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he wants it to go to the Senate immediately because he believes the case isn't strong enough, they don't have enough evidence, and he knows that he has the, the numbers in the House. The Democrats, on the other hand, are trying to stall because they obviously need to figure out how now to turn that 53% um, deficit into a 66% on their side of the coin. And so they are trying to delay and trying to get the right witnesses into the Senate to try and change the minds of the people that need to change the minds of. So it's really a battle right now where it's going to the Senate, whether it happens today or whether it happens in two months' time, that's the debate. And uh, both sides are obviously fighting their respective battles. Um, it's still too early to say what we think. I think that the safe money would be on Trump being acquitted because of the, the voting power he has in the Senate. But as we've seen with this election and the whole of the U.S., that anything can happen. <laughs> anything can happen, and we don't actually know what to, what to expect. Um, Chad, do you have any thoughts on, on Trump? For me, it's a, a lose-lose situation for Trump. I mean, even if he does get acquitted... Um, you know, this has to now follow him around uh, for the rest of his tenure as president. Now, when, you know, the whole house doesn't have faith in you, um, that surely can't be a good thing, um, you know, to to keep around while you have to serve out the rest of your tenure. So, yeah, for me, it's just a lose-lose. Obviously, if he does get convicted, even worse. Um, and as you said, I think it's, I think it's really interesting when it comes down to a vote, um, as much as the two parties may hate each other, some might uh, just have that real strong moral compass. Um, and, you know, some might have more of an insight into into what Trump is actually like as a character. So um, they might they may switch their vote, um, you know, so we'll we'll have to see what happens. Just 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 on the lose lose situation. Normally, I would agree with you, but I just want to bring up the point that Trump has survived some crazy things in his whole like election yeah. tenure. Right. He said some stupid things and there's been some serious allegations laid against him before. And he's managed to survive and somehow come out stronger against those allegations. I think we're in it. We're in a society in the U.S. specifically where there's so little trust put in media and trust in um, people saying things and writing things that there's a chance that he gets acquitted and Trump uses this as an advantage to say look at the mainstream media and look at the left who are trying to put me down and it might actually embolden some of his supporters to be like no if you we're going to stick by our man we're going to stick by Trump going forward because they're trying to lie about him and trying to get him out of office so I think I think it's interesting here I think that there is a small risk that Trump actually gets strengthened by this if he gets acquitted because the, the Trump supporters are so desperate to change the status quo and to kind of fight back against this radical left, as they call it, that I'm hoping not, but maybe there's a chance that if he gets acquitted, he can turn this into a election tactic to say, look at what they tried to do to me and they still can't stop us. Trying to appeal to that tribal instinct. Well, yep, definitely interesting uh, view, and uh, I, I completely see how you how you got to that. So, yeah, we'll we'll have to watch how that develops over the course of next year. Now, the last episode we spoke about uh, basically some closure coming to a very drawn out process, which <laughs> is uh, Brexit and uh, yeah, the UK general election. So this only happened last week, um, so you know there's not too much to report on it. But we did see the Queen's speech, um, basically opening Parliament uh, last week. And yeah, essentially, some of the some of the sort of highlights of that speech, um, she reiterated that her government's priority is to deliver Brexit by the 31st of January. Um, so this obviously being top of mind again, I think it's, uh, you know, high priority. The Queen is reiterating it um, and, and sort of that's an important thing to see. Uh, obviously, on the back of that, she's also said that, uh, you know, her government needs to set up a future relationship with the EU based on a free trade agreement. 
and also uh, start trade negotiations with other leading global economies. Um, obviously, we've seen Boris and Trump having uh, pretty good interactions, uh, so I'm pretty sure that's where that will uh, start to kick off as well. Obviously, we also saw uh, Theresa May doing a bit of a tour through the ca- through the course of last year, doing some dancing in Africa. Um, I'm not sure that uh, you know those are global leading economies, but I definitely uh, see them striking some deals there in in the likes of South Africa. Um, and and those types of things. We saw the Queen touch on the uh, basically the healthcare system, um, and in reiterating that a new visa will be brought into the fore, which allows qualified doctors and health professionals to have fast-tracked entry into the United Kingdom. Um, there will be a new modern, fair, points-based immigration system. Now, this is what we spoke about last week. Um, so this is definitely something that is top of mind as well to get uh, basically skilled workers uh, opportunity to come into the UK. Um, and yeah, basically some, some other interesting things. Uh, so for example, uh, measures will be introduced to encourage flexible working. Um, obviously, as the, the workplace is modernizing throughout, I think this is quite an important one to see. Um, and uh, yeah, basically, uh, net zero greenhouse gases by 2050. Uh, also talking about uh, a bill and basically um, putting into place a regulator and uh, essentially, yeah, basically a, a one point of contact for this. So, uh, what I mean, what do, you, what do you make of this? Is there anything here that comes as a surprise? Um, or would you have liked to see anything uh, more focused on? No, I think this is all to be expected. I think we chatted about all these points and uh, it kind of makes sense that that's kind of the the way they're going to go. I still want to see this actually happen, right? So it's still just words at this point and we'll have to watch and keep them accountable and see what happens when it comes to the actual policy that gets put in place. But uh, they're moving in the right direction. And and as you say, it feels like a little bit more closure. I hope that's true and I hope it doesn't go backwards in in, in the weeks to come. Chad, I was wondering if in, in, in chatting to your UK counterparts, have you noticed any change in mood or change in feeling in London based on the results of the election, or is it kind of just business as usual? Um, I definitely have noticed a feeling. I think a lot of people are very disappointed. Um, So, funny enough, in London, um, there's an overwhelming... um, I mean, if you look at the map, it's overwhelmingly voted in favor of Labour. Now, I I haven't got to grips with kind of what's happened in recent times and why everyone feels this way, Um, but it it certainly is interesting because uh, even just going into work, I can kind of, you know, hear everyone uh, muttering under their breath, oh, now that Boris is in power type of thing um you know it's 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 kind of uh, it's kind of one of those so um we'll definitely have to see why you know why that is the sentiment but uh i mean certainly i think i think a lot of people are, are happy that that this is now coming to an end uh, in terms of brexit at least at least everyone knows where they stand um it's, it's a lot better than the the kind of uncertainty that uh, has basically masked this whole process uh, from from beginning to potential end now um, so yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to see if, if the sentiment changes at all over time. Um, but I mean, certainly this being one of the most packed lists of proposed legislation in recent times. And for me, that can only be a good thing. Um, you know, challenging the status quo, looking at how things are done, bringing into uh, play new legislation. I mean, the Queen even speaking about the Constitution um, and, and looking at a, a potential review of that. So, uh, you know, wh- from where I'm standing, um, I, I get the cynics um, in terms of characters like Boris and, and like Trump. Um, but if we see progress... Um, um, you know, should we be uh, questioning that um, or, or should we just be happy with, with good progress? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think 2020 is going to be that earmark year where Brexit is finally, hopefully, finished. And uh, we're going to get to see what the implications are on a real basis. Like, it's all been theoretical up to this point. But seeing what happens, if if Britain finally gets out of the EU and like 
Charles's brand new course, what happens to the country, what happens to the economy, what happens to the people going in and out, and do these policy changes actually help mitigate some of the risks and some of the downsides of this Brexit? We'll have to wait and see. Let's wait and see for that. Now let's move on to our next segment. Stuff I found interesting. So being the last episode of 2019, Barry came up with a system of awards. So we got to award our favorite uh, various things uh, for the year. So I'll let Barry get stuck into uh, his award for his favorite movie of 2019. Yeah, I think the key part here is that this is the favorites. It's not best. Originally, I'd written best on the sheet, but I realized that could cause some drama. So this is highly <laughs> subjective, and it's based not only on the the movies that it's it's based on movies and books and stuff that we've seen in 2019. So obviously, we haven't seen everything. So if your favorite thing isn't on yep. this list, I do apologize. Please let us know about it. We'll definitely catch up. Um, and also, in my mind, Chad, I'm not sure if you agree. It's not necessarily it didn't have to be made in 2019. It just has to be enjoyed in 2019. So, for example, there's oh well that that changes a few things. Oh, does it change your your answer? Definitely, yeah, yeah. That changes my answer. Um, but but do carry on, do carry okay, on. Okay, well, I'll, I'll carry on and give you some time to think about that. Um, the only reason I'm saying that is because um, I'm, I'm not 100% sure all of my stuff is 2019 specific, so I'm just buying myself some time <laughs> there. Um, but yeah, the first award for, for, for this section is the favorite movie of 2019. And so I'm going to give my favorite movie of 2019 to Joker, which was a movie that came out towards the end of the year and really kind of caused a huge social discussion around mental illness, around um, social in- social dif- difficulties and around violence in our society. And the Joker is obviously a famous villain from superhero lore and is probably one of most people's favorite villains when it comes to this kind of stuff. And uh, this movie kind of dug beneath the villain's um, mask and looked at his personal life and really showed a more authentic and more uh, I think generous view of why the Joker became the Joker and it's shot incredibly well Joaquin Phoenix did an amazing job at portraying the character and for me it was a spectacular movie that I will remember for a long long time so that's my favorite movie for the year honorable mentions from my side go to Quentin Tarantino's new movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a very long slow movie as Quentin some of his movies can be but really, really well done and really kind of shows a Hollywood of the 1960s that was really fascinating. Another one is Marriage Story, which was on Chad's recommendation, which I really enjoyed. I actually watched that a few days ago. And then Avengers Endgame, which was one of the biggest movies of the year and I thought it was a masterpiece. So those are my honorable mentions, but my favorite movie of 2019 goes to The Joker. Amazing. I still haven't watched The Joker every time I want to go and see it. Um, you know, my, my fiance just hasn't been in the mood. I think it's off of cinemas now, so I, I'm going to have to uh, sort, of sort myself out on that one, but I definitely need to watch it. Uh, so as I said, my my uh, my results have changed as on the back <laughs> of, uh, you know, the parameters that we have now defined. So I'd probably say my favorite movie to watch in 2019, which might come as a bit of a surprise, was actually Bohemian Rhapsody, um, the story of Queen and, of course, uh, Freddie Mercury, the absolute legend. Um, you know, one of the best vocals uh, of, of time, in my opinion. Um, I just found it fascinating um, just to, to kind of get a, a look behind the scenes of, um, you know, what would have been the reality of, of Queen and how they just changed the world, really. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, I mean, great acting there as well. 
basically the guy who played uh, Freddie Mercury coming from Mr. Robot, um, where he played a pretty odd character. I think he really, really uh, perfectly portrayed uh, the lead singer of Queen, and I really think he, he portrayed uh, Freddie really well and uh, gave us a glimpse um, into, you know, the, the things that he was going through. Um, and yeah, just a, just a remarkable life and a remarkable man. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of my honorable mentions, obviously Marriage Story I, I thoroughly enjoyed as well. Uh, basically, yesterday or the day before, I watched uh, The Irishman, also on Netflix, a three and a half hour movie. Wow. Um, starring, uh, yeah, starring uh, De Niro, uh, Al Pacino, and uh, a, a couple of others. Um, and yeah, I, I thought that was a fascinating film to watch as well. Um, and although it was incredibly long, it didn't feel too long for me. Um, and yeah, just again, a a really, uh, really interesting glimpse at what life was like, uh, you know, for the mob. This being portrayed as a result of um, some true stories um, about a guy who paints houses. Uh, paints houses really are just an expression for basically blowing brains onto <laughs> walls. Um, pretty terrible, really. Um, but yeah, just a just a really uh, interesting way that that was portrayed. I, I like the the sort of parallels drawn between the the, the passage of time, um, you know, kind of just how the, the sort of the interview nature of it, um, but also then crossing back to uh, various uh, stages of his life um, and having lost all contact with his daughter, really starting to to question those choices, um, which yeah, I thought was quite a quite an interesting one to watch. So shall we move on to uh, music and uh, your favorite artist of 2019? So yes, looking looking at the music of 2019, we're looking at um, the artists that we really enjoyed throughout the year. Um, and there's been a lot of amazing music this year, and I think it's been a really good good year for music. Um, for me, the, the artist that really stood out and has become my favorite artist um, very, very quickly is an Irish singer-songwriter by the name of Dermot Kennedy. Now, Dermot Kennedy has kind of come out of nowhere. He released an EP in 2018, which was a small release, but his first album came out in 2019. And uh, he really is a very soulful singer and guitarist. And what I really enjoy about his music is that it's it's very genuine and authentic. And the songwriting is fantastic. The lyrics are amazing. But the soul and the rasp in his voice just get into my bones for some reason. And so I've had his album on repeat. I've been annoying all my friends and family by just playing it again and again and again. And uh, so I'm really I'm really glad to see he's starting to get into the limelight. I've seen him on Ellen and a few other shows now. So he's starting to get into that space. And hopefully we see a lot, a lot of cool new music coming in from him in the future. But as a singer-songwriter, he's become one of my favorites instantly and probably my favorite of 2019 itself. Honorable mention from my side goes to Billie Eilish, which is probably uh, probably the biggest breakouts in, in mainstream uh, media this year. Um, I, I wasn't Absolutely. a fan of her right at the beginning, but after watching a few of the watching a few of the interviews and getting to know her a little bit and seeing like the little bedroom that they recorded the, that album in, it really grew my appreciation for her music. And then after listening to it more and more, it's really grown on me in the last couple last couple of weeks. And so I think Billie Eilish is definitely the big, biggest breakout of 2019. Um, and an honorable mention from my side. Chad, on your side? Fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, basically when I saw this pop up on the list yesterday, I, I thought, what better place to look than from where I listen to my music to anyway? So, basically, uh, if you've got Spotify, I'm sure you would have seen 2019 wrapped. It basically summarizes all of your uh, most played stuff of the year. And uh, for me, it was Ed Sheeran surprisingly. Um, so, you know, obviously Ed Sheeran's been, been big for some time, but his collaborations album that he released this year definitely hit a hit a note with me, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. I kind of just listened to it on repeat. Um, certainly in the tail end of the year, 
I have to agree with you, Billie Eilish, um, and uh, certainly the the sort of single "Everything I Wanted" that was released uh, fairly recently. I can just listen to on repeat. Um, so yeah, absolute banger of a track. Um, and and yeah, for me, as you say, I think let, let's just let's just chat about that for a second. So um, Billie Eilish and her brother basically produced this album and uh, sort of all the all the all the music they've put out uh, together exclusively by themselves uh, in their bedroom. They've got a two bedroom house, which is not big at all. Um, Phineas, her brother, um, actually, yeah, just uh, he he basically is the producer, and he's actually signed to the record label that I'm working at at the moment, uh, which is AWOL. Um, so yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on uh, on that? The power of uh, of this decade, like how somebody is able to produce an album that touches radio waves from their bedroom and not on expensive gear. I mean, I looked at the microphone that he used, um, and it's it's really not the the best of the best. It's really an amazing story, and it really shows how the barriers to entry into the music industry have come down so significantly over the past couple of years. In the past, if you wanted to become a huge pop star, you needed a huge recording contract, you needed a studio to record in, you needed all the fancy gear and the fancy musicians and all of that stuff. Whereas right now, as you say, you can sit in your bedroom, as they did, with an average microphone and a computer and create music that then becomes absolutely globally sensational. And so watching yeah. that happen is really fantastic. And what it does is it allows talented people who don't have the resources or don't have traditional networks, traditional kind of opportunities to actually compete in the global landscape. All you need is a Spotify account to upload your stuff onto. And if your music is good enough, it can go huge and you can have the kind of success that Billie Eilish and Phineas have had. And so it's really amazing to see and it really bodes well for the future of music where everyone has the opportunity to put it out there and kind of let the best music win, regardless of whether you know the record producers, whether you know the studio guys or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so watching that happen has been really cool. What I found amazing was I watched an interview with Billie Eilish um, on James Corden. And she was saying that she remembers about a year ago, Phineas in that bedroom telling her that he was going to make her the biggest pop star in the world. And if that, wow. is, if that is true, if you actually said that, it's an amazing quote. If you actually said that, that is incredible. That From kind of visualizing your success, like noticing that, that Billie Eilish is the talent and he's got the producing chops yeah. behind it and realizing that you've got something special here, that breathy, raspy voice that Billie Eilish has. And being able to spot that and decide, cool, we're going to sit in that bedroom for months at a time, create this album and put it out into the world. And now she's a household name. So that's an amazing story. And I really hope that it's true. I really hope he said that because that's that that's a movie waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's something that just gives me absolute goosebumps. There's something about this kind of rise to fame for just normal people who have absolutely amazing talents that uh, that is just so inspiring. And, and yeah, definitely, definitely gave me goosebumps there. Um, shall we move on to your favorite book of 2019 i don't have much to contribute here uh, but let's <laughs> <laughs> let's see what you enjoyed the most yeah yeah so i was looking at my goodreads for 2019 and uh, i think i've read 23 books this year i think that's the total by wow. my last estimate <laughs> and uh, so my, my favorite one for the year is a book by one of my favorite authors carl newport and the book is called digital minimalism and what it talks about is how our cell phones and how our devices have really ingrained themselves in our lives to such an extent that it's kind of harmed our ability to focus and our ability to pay attention to one specific thing. So a lot of, we, we chatted about my social media detox and a lot about um, addiction to cell phones and that kind of stuff. And a lot of that thinking comes from this book from Cal Newport. And he kind of puts forward this, 
What seems a radical strategy of getting rid of most of your social media entirely and focusing on the important things in your life and seeing them for what they are, seeing them as tools to accomplish certain objectives in your life and not as merely things in your life that you have because everyone else has it. So the book kind of says to you, why do you have Facebook? Why do you have Twitter? If there's a specific reason, so if it's to keep up with a certain group of people, if it's to kind of follow news or follow um, certain things you want to keep up with, make sure that you're only using the tool for those specific use cases and you don't get sucked into the whole ecosystem where you're on Twitter to find that piece of news, but all of a sudden, 20 minutes later, you found that you've been scrolling and scrolling and clicking and clicking because you got caught up in the addiction cycle that these products actually design. And uh, so I found it a very refreshing take on social media, a refreshing take on why do we have these tools? Why are we using social media? And if you're a little bit more intentional and conscious about the kind of actions and the behaviors you're exhibiting on these platforms, you can save yourself some time, get get out of that, 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 that cycle of scrolling until your eyes bleed and actually use these platforms for the tremendous power that they, that they have. So I think it's a fantastic book and I'd recommend it to anybody. That's my book of the year. Honorable mentions from my side go to the Leonardo da Vinci autobiography that I finished by Walter Isaacson. Yeah. That was incredible. Um, wasn't written in 2019, but I finished it in 2019 and was an unbelievable book for, about Leonardo da Vinci. We chatted about him in a previous episode. And then from a fiction yeah. perspective, actually the book I mentioned, I think it was last week or maybe two weeks ago, yep. El- yep. Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. Um, a book that I didn't expect to enjoy at all, but it was a absolutely fascinating read and a really, really beautiful story. Fantastic writing and uh, probably my favorite fiction book of the year. Chad? Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm quite guilty on this one. So um, my choice is really by default is I only actually finished <laughs> one book this year, um, still which works. is really still not works. good. Um, there, uh, there's a couple in progress. So I'm about halfway through. I, I definitely need to, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. Um, so the only book that I did finish was one by Richard Templer, um, and it's called The Rules of Life. Um, it's It's got a fairly decent reviews, I'd say. Um, it's not. Uh, it's definitely not a, a sort of fully coherent book. Every uh, couple of pages is essentially a new rule. Um, and it's basically just a couple of those basic reminders of things that we need to do to enjoy life, to appreciate life, um, and, and really just go back to basics. It's one of those books that, uh, you know, there's no radical new ideas, um, but I think it's a good handbook to have, um, you know, when, when going through times of, of challenge or going through a crossroads or, or, or that kind of thing. It, it splits it up into various uh, elements of our life, you know, kind of our, our partner, um, work, personal um, outlook and, and uh, keeping healthy and all of that type of stuff. Um, and so for me, it was just a really good... Uh, Basic, just basic handbook um, for you know general maintenance. Um, so for me, I quite enjoyed it. But as I said, that's only by default because it's the only book I actually finished. Um, <laughs> so let's move on to uh, your favorite podcast moment of 2019. Uh, ours are both the same here. Um, so you'd have to see it on our bloopers um, to actually uh, enjoy. But Barry, talk us through this one. Oh, this one hurts. This one hurts. So <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this was the day, if you remember, guys, where I had to change location because SCOM had kind of thrown a span in the works. And uh, also Chad has started his new job. So we, we were filming at like 10 p.m. in the evening. It had been a long day. <laughs> and so we were both in a bit of a silly mood. And uh, when I was trying to explain the Google CEO, I was trying to pronounce his name. And for some unknown reason, I think it was the fatigue slash the craziness of the situation, I couldn't get his name right without laughing. And the moment I started laughing, then Chad started laughing. And we spent the next probably 10 minutes 
uncontrollably laughing, crying our eyes out like we could not start yeah. speaking again. Um, and we went through that. I think actors call it corpsing when you when you we just can't you can't stop laughing, and it's so silly and stupid, and no one else would understand. <laughs> but it was one of the funniest moments, and certainly my favorite moments of 2019. There's something certainly there's something life giving about laughing until your stomach hurts and you yeah. te- tears are flowing down your face, and you just simply can't stop. And uh, that really is laughter is the best medicine. So that was probably my favorite moments of 2019. Um, I've really enjoyed this podcast, and that's probably the highlight for me yeah. was that moment of not. Not being able to stop laughing <laughs> <laughs> i completely agree i haven't had that in quite some time i think you have to uh, it, it doesn't happen with every person you certainly have to feel comfortable with the person to uh, you know get to that stage and i was literally crying non-stop <laughs> um so if you haven't watched it definitely go through our bloopers and 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 have a look at that um, but i mean the natural question that i asked barry there was how do news producers and news presenters and and people who are live on air um you know compose themselves after moments like this um and and get the get the business done luckily we are able to clip it out um, and still produce a a coherent episode uh, with this you know stuck at the tail end in bloopers but yeah uh certainly the people in the live game uh, are incredibly talented to to uh you basically contain that down and uh still be able to compose themselves but yeah that was incredibly funny i thoroughly enjoyed it as well um, and uh, the, the funniest part for me is that we actually just cut his name out of the, the final <laughs> episode <laughs> to actually just get past it. <laughs> so, Barry, can you tell me the name of Google's CEO? Chad, I knew you were going to put me on the spot. <laughs> Google's current CEO, his name is Sundar Pichai. Ah, oh, fantastic. There we go. Come Victory on! To Come on! Well done. I think, I think you should put a crowd, a crowd cheering sound effect in there when I, when I say it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Cool. Uh, shall we move to the next one? Let's do it. Looking ahead. So while putting together the uh, basically the skeleton bones of this episode last night, um, I was kind of not sure what to put, but actually found something. Um, Apple uh, reportedly having a secret satellite project. So this has been reported by Bloomberg, um, and they are essentially investing in technology to beam data to devices. Now, it's fairly broad. Uh, we don't really know too much more at this stage, um, but a couple of theories coming out. So potentially this is to boost internet coverage, um, trying to make Apple maybe a bit more independent of those third-party data providers, um, or to potentially create a network uh, that essentially just connects Apple devices to each other. Um, so yeah, essentially uh, all Apple devices would be able to communicate without having to uh, pay an extra subscription. Well, certainly that's what it seems like. Um, what are your th- thoughts of this, Barry? I think it's fascinating. I think it's another example. If if these if these rumors are true, that Apple is looking again to try and control their own ecosystem. And imagine if they could remove the actual mobile providers out of their ecosystem and make it entirely Apple. It gives you yet another reason to stay within their stay within their gambit. Um, and so, if it, if it is true, it's fascinating. Um, I I don't know the technicalities around satellites. I don't know what's possible and what's not. What I do know is that satellite technology itself and kind of the network of satellites that is orbiting Earth is really a really interesting resource that I think is undervalued. If you look at how much of our world relies on satellite technology and it relies on the data and the information that gets 
beamed across the world, um, those satellites are incredibly important. And so the war for resources and the war for data and the war for all of this information actually comes from those satellites. Um, and so if, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Apple are looking at that very, very seriously as how to use that to their best advantage and how to ensure that the Apple ecosystem remains as clean and as insular as possible because that's how they get you to buy their laptops and their phones and their services, etc. Um, so yeah, I, I'm fascinated by this. We'll have to wait and see what happens. What do you think, Chad? Definitely. I mean, I think it is an interesting one. So there's a couple of other uh, sort of noteworthy companies who are looking into this at the moment. Um, an example being SpaceX. Um, and the other interesting thing is we've seen uh, in the past some failed attempts at uh, launching satellites. Um, so I think, yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch. And yeah, basically, uh, Tim Cook has apparently also given his stamp of approval and he's quite uh, keen on on pursuing this further. Obviously, these are just reports, so we'll have to see what happens. Um, but certainly, you know, when somebody so senior has buy-in to a project like this, um, I, I think it's definitely something to look at quite seriously. Let's move on to our next insert. Develop and grow. So in our first podcast episode, actually, I uh, I basically implored listeners to start looking at their goals for 2020. And uh, when casting out the, the skeleton of this episode again, Barry had put down his goals and I realized I had actually not put in the work myself <laughs> to put some goals on to the paper. So let's start with Barry. Uh, what are your goals for next year? Yeah, so this is a small subset of them. There's, there's some goals, obviously, that are quite private, and so I didn't want to share. So these sure. are the, some of the goals that are publicly available, and I'm happy to share. And I'm hoping that you listeners will hold us accountable for these. I hope that in the year to come, that if we haven't achieved these things, that you'll get on our backs and in the YouTube comments and in the in the, the social media comments and let us know. Uh, but some of them, yeah. the first one for me, which is one that I had for this year that I didn't manage to do, um, was to run my first marathon. So I've run a bunch of half marathons in the past, and I really want to give it a go at running a full one. Um, and so my goal for 2020 is to find a marathon and actually go and run it and it doesn't matter how slow or how fast I just want to get over the line (laughs) and finish the thing Um, and I I think that's quite an achievable one for me and I'm hoping that I'll get that done in, in 2020 the second one for me is to finish my master's thesis and have it published in a in a journal. I wanted to put a prestigious journal here, but I don't know if that's unrealistic. Um, but I've been working very very hard on my thesis, and I've my friends and family laugh at me because I've taken a long time to finish it. But the reason is I want it to be really good and I want it to be publishable. So my goal is to contribute something to the field of philosophy, and my thesis is almost done. And so the the goal is to finish the thesis, and that needs to be done by March because I need to finish it and actually get in get it submitted right. um, but after that I want to submit it to, to various journals and see if I can get it published in a journal um, I also intend to use it to go and speak at various conferences as well so it's kind of a, a bedrock asset that I wanted to create and hopefully get into the various philosophical journals around the world and see what happens from there Amazing. so that's my second goal the third one is something that I I'm, I'm going to tease here because I, I thought I like the idea of teasing <laughs> it it's something I've been working on for a long time now and I haven't really told anybody um, is a, a brand and a company called Artists and Soldiers, which I want to launch in 2020. Now, I'm going to be specifically vague here, but basically I want a vehicle to be able to share some of the interesting creative projects and writing and speaking and videos that I want to create in 2020. And this is kind of going to be the home for that content, whether it comes to video, audio, or written. Um, and so I'm not going to say anything more than that. I want to launch it in 2020, so please keep a watch out. Um, but I thought I'd tease it here first so that the real the, the podcast listeners who've got to this point in the show, you get a little bit of exclusivity there. 
Amazing. The fourth, the fourth one is that I wanted. I've been wanting to challenge myself with some language learning for a while. I think there's a stigma around learning languages after you've left school. Like it certainly is a lot harder to learn at this age than it is at say 13 or 14. Um, but I, I, I always, I sometimes feel a little bit um, sad that I only know one language. So I only really speak English. My Afrikaans is woeful at best. Um, and so I'd love, <laughs> I'd love to learn another language. And being in South Africa, I think a really cool language to learn, for, especially for a white person like me, is to learn some Zulu. So I'd love to start learning Zulu in, in 2020. And so my goal is to start figuring out, cool, do I need a teacher? Do I need online resources? How am I going to go about doing it? I haven't done the work to figure out what the systems we're going to put in place for Zulu yet are. But it's a goal for me to try and get some rudimentary Zulu and under my under my belt for 2020 with a view of becoming fluent over time so that's a goal for me and then the last one is doing some meal prep so I've seen a lot of YouTube videos about people who cook huge amounts of food on the Sunday and then put it in Tupperwares for the rest of the week <laughs> and that helps them keep on track because during the week we all know people get busy things get things get hectic and it's very easy to go and just order food or go and buy expensive food um, because it's convenient and you don't feel like cooking and meal prep tries to solve some of that by pre-cooking meals so that when you're lazy and tired during the week you just pull out the Tupperware in the microwave and you're good to go and so I want to start doing that myself so I can eat healthier during the week and not eat out as much so those are my those are my five goals I want to share um, please do hold me accountable for them, both Chad and the listeners, um, because I need to make sure that actually happens in 2020. Chad? Yeah, I definitely will. And uh, certainly if you're in Europe again, um, I'd like to join you for the first one. If uh, I mean, depending on which marathon you sign up for, I've also not done one um, and would, would love to. It's not on my list, um, but certainly if you are in Europe, I would definitely love to, to join you on that one. I'm going to hold you um, to that. In terms of... <laughs> Sounds good. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of the others, um, yeah, artists and soldiers sounds fascinating. We'll we'll keep our eyes peeled. And again, <laughs> we, I, I think we've we've got some we've got some very loyal listeners uh, from some of the discussions that I've had in the past. People are really keen to know what what Barry's up to. So I think uh, you know I think you'll definitely uh, you'll definitely have a lot of people keen to to find out what happens there. Um, and then just in terms of the master's thesis and the journal, um, what what is the sort of process there? I, this is a, a, new, a world that is uh, completely foreign to me. Um, so how how do you approach uh, you know getting a, a thesis published and uh, you know what, what what's the sort of uh, likely timelines and that kind of thing? Yeah, so what happens is you, you you present some sort of, so every journal has got different criteria. So a journal will tell to you, cool, how long should it be? What kind of topics does it cover, et cetera, et cetera. And if your, if your piece matches that mandate, what you'll do is you submit it online to the journal and you submit it in a double-blind way. So there's no name or no identifying factors of you on that piece of right. information. And then it gets sent to that journal's what they call reviewers. So it's, it's a panel of people who look through all the submissions they receive and decide what is what is worth going in the journal and what is not. And that is done on a double-blind basis. So you have to have at least two people in that panel agreeing that your work is good enough to go into the journal. If they agree on that, which is a very small proportion because they get lots of submissions, so it's very, very tough to even right. get to that stage. Once you get to that stage, they will then contact you again and they go through an editing process to make sure it meets their requirements when it comes to formatting and language and make sure everything is set from their perspective. So that, that can take some time. And then if you get through all of that and you finally get it submitted, then it gets published in that journal and you'll get you'll get notes with the citation. And so what that means is that anyone then who's reading that journal wants to use your work can cite your work going forward. And that's kind yeah. of the home for your work for the rest of time. 
So what's really cool about that is that that, that is how in the academic landscape you actually contribute to the field. Citations is kind of the scoreboard when it comes to academics. And so the more citations you have, the more impacts theoretically you've had on the field. Obviously, there's lots of nonsense wow. here because the journals are very, very highly controlled and the, the people who hold the power over those journals hold the power over the academic profession. So in the, in the last couple of years, there's actually been a bit of a pushback against journals and people looking to open source, in a sense, their work and put it online for free. Um, and there's definitely an argument for that. From my perspective, from a personal development perspective, I want to know if I'm good enough to publish in a journal like that. And so that's that's why the goal is there for me. I will still share all my stuff online for free. I'll never I'll never withhold that information because another one of the key aspects here is that these articles are often put behind a paywall because these guys need to make money and be sustainable in some way. Right. And so right. I, I never the reason I'm putting it is not to withhold that information. I still want to share it with everybody and, and get those ideas out there. But it would be a great point of pride for me if I was able to get in, published in a journal and really show that my work is good enough to be put us put alongside the other academic heavyweights across the world. Incredible. Well, yeah, we'll definitely uh, keep our eyes peeled, and and yeah, hopefully you get one of the prestigious journals that you you're looking for. Um, yeah, the, the other thing is Saul Bona Uberi Unjani. Ooh, Nkikona Unjani. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll definitely uh, see how, how Barry Zulu is getting along next year as well. Um, in terms of my goals for the next year, um, as I said, uh, basically had a, a bit of a thought last night. Obviously, as Barry said, some of the some of the goals are personal, so not going to put those down. Um, but uh, so certainly uh, on a cosmetic note, um, getting married in September. So I want to be in the best shape as possible. I've set myself a goal for a body fat percentage between ten and twelve percent. Um, so yeah, although that is kind of just uh, you know purely cosmetic, um, it, it is one of those days. You know, it happens once in a lifetime. So you kind of want to be at your best. Um, as possible. Um, obviously, I want to be absolutely present on my wedding day. Um, I really want to not overthink it, not think ahead, not look back. I want to be there on the day, take in every single moment. I want to kind of literally just be enjoying every second, uh, celebrating with family and friends, and uh, and obviously just enjoying the the special moment that it, I'm sure will be. Um, the next one is to complete another Ironman 70.3, um, but uh, the goal here now being under seven hours. Now I wasn't I wasn't far over the seven hour mark the last time, um, but I I definitely want to want to make it uh, for the next one. Um, next one is to keep the podcast going strong throughout the year. Um, and uh, to add a sort of sub goal here, I want to make sure that I uh, honor the time slot every time <laughs> in the last couple of episodes. Barry's been very patient with me in uh, in waiting 15 minutes to 30 minutes um, of delay on my side, whether due to the tube or whether due to, uh, you know, me having man flu today. Um, I, I really appreciate that on Barry's side and I need to kind of get better at that. So that's definitely one of the goals. Uh, the next one is to read at least one book per month. Uh, now, I think looking back on this last year and saying I read one book is absolutely dismal. Um, so, yeah, one book a month. Uh, please hold me to that. Um, I hopefully, will. I'm, I'm going to bring bring up a book, uh, it, you know, within each month as, as a topic to chat about. Um, so, yeah, please do hold me to that. Um, and then the last one, which is kind of uh, one of the one of the. Uh, Goal-setting attributes is, is that sort of SMART acronym. You know, it needs to be specific, measure, measurable, attainable, all of that type of thing. And this one's not really very specific. Um, but what it is is just to, to kind of try and get closer to, to finding contentment in the work that I do. Um, 
which is really quite a hard one. As I said, it's not a specific thing, but I kind of just want to reach a point where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm content. I, I, I'm sort of, uh, you know, not, not bursting for joy every day I, I enter the office, but, but not uh, dreading going in. So, uh, th- you know, that try, trying to find that um, is, is something that I think is, is quite important for me next year as well. Chad, I've got an idea. I, I love that goal, and I've got an idea how to make it measurable. We were chatting about journaling yeah. on a previous episode, so why don't you set Definitely. why don't you set like a monthly reminder in your calendar to sit down for ten minutes and write on how you're feeling about your job at that particular point in time, and you put that all into a document. And then in December 2020, you look back at that document and you read what you've written and you see how you were yeah. feeling in each month to get a sense of your contentment levels, um, depending on what was happening at that time. That's just an idea to help Great you idea. measure that a little bit. A very very good idea. Um, I think that that'll that'll definitely be a one to do. Um, and yeah, what, one an interesting one as well. You spoke about Cole Newport. Um, I actually downloaded a book. This is again one of the one of the reasons why I haven't finished because I've kind of read halfway through various books, <laughs> um, where he challenges the the passion hypothesis, um, i.e., you know that uh, you, that that all meaningful work or all work that we enjoy is 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 passion is is you know related to our passions and he kind of challenges that so um i think yeah once i once i finish that read um i'll also potentially have a, a better view um as to how to to actually measure measure this uh, this goal throughout the year but i think tracking progress throughout the year is, is definitely a good idea um so shall we move on to the next one uh, we don't have any questions from a listener but barry's got a great idea let's play the jingle and then we'll get to it what's on your mind Barry, tell me your idea. Yeah, so the idea was we, we often we get questions from listeners. We don't often ask each other questions. So I thought that for this last one of 2019, we would each ask each other one question that we hadn't prepared. So for the listeners at home or the watchers, there's nothing on this document, so we don't know what's coming. So we're going to throw a yeah. question at each other and just see what the response is. So Chad, do you want to start with me or should I start? I mean, yeah. Let me let, let me start. I'll, I've I've got my question. Okay. Um, so this one, you know, could could actually be a whole topic for another day. Um, but yeah, certainly something that I find quite interesting. Um, and uh, when any whenever I've ever socialized with Barry in the past, um, he will very politely decline uh, the consumption of alcohol. Um, so I wanted to ask Barry basically how he's come to that, how he um, you know still holds up against peer pressure because you know sometimes uh, a group of friends will will really rally behind the cause, um, <laughs> and and ultimately whether he's found to to not uh, benefit from uh, social situations by not having alcohol. So uh, yeah, please let me know there. Yeah, so so that's that's one of the main questions I get asked by all my friends because. <laughs> Um, it's it's very rare for someone to to not drink alcohol, and in my in my perspective, I've actually never drunk an alcohol, so I haven't had a sip of it my right. entire life. So it's not like I was drinking and then I stopped, which is more common. Um, I've I've actually never done it, and when I try and answer this question, it's it's too easy for me to give some sort of cliche response about a, a reason for it. Um, at, at the end of the day, when I look back on it, it's a collection of different decisions that I've made relating to various things, right? So it's a personal choice. It's not, it's not by religion. It's not by any kind of dogmatic approach. And the reason I've made it is because well, the reason I think that I made it back then and I've continued to it is because I see it as a, it gets in the way of social interaction and gives you a kind of a crutch to use 
um, to yeah. to have fun and kind of get yourself into social situations. I, I never wanted to be reliant on alcohol in order to have a good yeah. time or in order to just speak to friends or to be able to dance in a nightclub or any of that kind of stuff. I never wanted that yeah. crutch. I wanted to be able to get into those states and get into those situations just with my own my own personality and my own person. The second thing for me is that I, I personally think alcohol is not great for the human body. I think that Definitely. the effects that it has on a long-term basis on your, on your immune system and on on your liver and on your body in general um, is is not good. And also, I, I I struggle to identify with the idea that you lose the whole the next day. If you go out and you get really drunk the one yeah. night, um, you go out the next day and you've got this hangover and you lose that entire day. And I never wanted to be in that yeah. situation. The third piece is that in when it comes to my personality, knowing myself, abstinence is much easier for me than moderation. Right, so I could so I could easily say that cool. I'm gonna go out and have one beer a night, and that's a perfectly reasonable thing. And I, I I don't a lot of my friends do it, and and that's completely fine. Like I've got no issues with that myself. But when it comes to I I struggle with moderation. Once I start doing something, I tend to overdo it. And in various other points of my life, that I've done it with various other things, other vices. Um, but alcohol for for me is if I can stay away from it completely, it re- it reduces that that need for for it at all, and I'm I'm living a much happier life. I think. When it comes to the peer pressure. Yeah, it's something I've dealt with my entire childhood. It was a lot tougher in my kind of teen years where the macho thing to do and kind of the cool thing to do in those situations as a yeah. teenager is to drink. And going to those parties and turning all of that down is 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 a challenge. Um, but what happens yeah. is the, the more you do it, the better you get. So it's building a muscle, right? The more you say no to it, the easier it is to say the next no. And because yeah. there's no slippery slope, because it's always a no for me, my friends have got to understand that I'm still going to have fun with you. I'm still going to go out into the nightclub until four in the morning. I'm still going to dance and do silly <laughs> things. I'm still going to have all that yep. fun. Yep. I'm not a wet blanket at all. But the only thing is different is that I don't drink. And once your friends realize that, and often you find out who your real friends are and who your fake friends are, yep. once your real friends okay. find out that, then it's not an issue anymore. And so right now in my life, it's not an issue other than on first dates. <laughs> so first dates is rather <laughs> awkward because you'll, you'll go with a lovely lady, you'll go, to, you'll go to a bar or whatnot, and you let the lady order first, of course, so she orders her glass of wine, and then it comes to me and I ask for my Coke Zero, and she looks at you <laughs> like, what? And you, and, then, and you don't know this person, it's like the first time you interact and you have to try and explain this whole situation. No, I don't drink. You, you're more than welcome to have your wine and she feels guilty about <laughs> it and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So first dates are a challenge, I'll be honest. But um, once you get past that awkwardness and you kind of laugh about it a little bit, um, I found that nothing but positive benefits for my life. It's one of the decisions that I'm most happy with that I've ever made. Um, I'm very proud of myself for it and I intend to hold it for the rest of my life. Um, and it's something that's, is really core to my my identity as a person. And I think that's key when it comes to habit building is that once it becomes part of your identity, it becomes a lot easier to do. When someone when someone offers me a beer at a party, I'm not having to struggle with the willpower to be able to say no, yeah. right? Yeah. All I'm saying is that Barry doesn't drink and I'm Barry and so that doesn't happen. Yep. And so once it's part of your identity, it just becomes second nature. And that peer pressure isn't there as much as it was in my childhood years where there still was that chance. Why isn't Barry drinking? Is he pulling soft, et cetera, et cetera? 
Um, yep. So yeah, that's my attempt to answer your question, Chad. Amazing. No, I mean, uh, I think I think it's a great uh, a great way of looking at it, and I think it's uh, you, you've come to the, the the best possible decision. I actually think uh, you know the rest of us need to change the way we look at alcohol because it is it's a it's it, it's a drug and it's uh, you know it, it has detrimental effects on on the body. So um, I, I completely agree there, um, and uh, you know I certainly certainly will never be peer pressuring Barry um, because <laughs> you know I I just uh, yeah just don't just don't 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 see the see the need. Um, yeah, would you like to ask me your question? All right, Chad. So for what's on your mind, Chad, I want to ask <laughs> if you could if you could go back to one of the destinations you've traveled to over the last couple of years and live there for a year. So live and work for a year. Which one would you pick and why? Wow. Interesting. So so, huh. so, so to clarify, it's not a holiday. It's not a holiday destination. You have to live and work there for a year as a local. Yeah. I would probably pick Barcelona, to be honest. Um, I th- I thoroughly enjoy Barcelona. Um, so what what is nice is, as you say, as a holiday destination, you can travel an hour out and you've, you've got the beach, um, the real beach. Obviously, in Barcelona, there's a, a man-made beach, um, which is there. But obviously, for, for, for the real, you know, natural stuff, it's sort of an hour, an hour and a half out, you, you, you can find decent beaches there. But just in terms of the city, the way the city's built, um, the people are really nice. Um, I, I really like... Uh, the sort of bicycle lanes everywhere and uh, and the city being open to people using like electronic scooters and uh, one wheels and all of those types of things uh, so for me yeah I just love Barcelona I love the love the city it's, it's absolutely beautiful uh, love how one man has uh, touched the city in in the most profound way uh, and Tony Gaudi with all of his uh, you know architecture throughout the city the the Sangrada Familia um, you know Park Güell um, the the, the Casas uh, I think it's a stunning place um, and and so for me was the place that I chose to propose to uh, my, my now fiance. So I could definitely live there for a year. Uh, obviously, I don't speak Spanish, which could be a, a bit of a, a bit of a challenge. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've, I've got friends who have moved over there and, uh, and thoroughly enjoy living there. So uh, I could definitely do that. That's fascinating. I think it's it's very high on my list. I've heard such amazing things about Barcelona, and it's one of the few places in Europe that I haven't had the chance to actually go and visit. Yeah. And so I, I'm dying to go there. So I'm going to take the recommendation and put it <laughs> at the top of my list. Amazing. Well, yeah, I think that was quite a that was quite a nice little uh, insert there. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed our questions. Um, and uh, yeah, basically, we've reached the end of a jam packed episode, uh, the last episode for 2019. Pretty crazy, actually. Uh, but yeah, we'll definitely be back next week. Don't worry. Uh, just because it's New Year's and all of that type of thing, we will be uh, fresh and, and ready to go uh, as as good as new. Um, and uh, yeah, basically, thanks again for for tuning in. Uh, Happy New Year! I hope you guys have a safe uh, journey and uh, and certainly yeah, just uh, just enjoy uh, enjoy the moment. Don't uh, set it up too much uh, because I think a lot of a lot of the time people picture New Year's Eve as being uh, one way or another, and it, it seems to never. Uh, get to that ultimate uh, level so you know just enjoy it for what it is uh, be present um, and uh, yeah thanks Barry thanks for the for everything on the podcast and uh, here's to here's to next year bud yes yeah, so 2020 the, the decade of possibility and uh, really looking forward to yeah. seeing what we do so yeah thank you everyone awesome well thanks for tuning in again and uh, this was episode seven of across the pond, pond, pond across the pond.